at Ziklag learned that he needed God in his life specifically. Because he had thought that, uh, in terms of what he did, that with all the oppression that he was facing under Saul, it was better for him to live in Philistine country. There's no, going back in history here, there's no sense in which he called upon God, inquired about God, said, God, should I move my life in this direction? He thought, this is the best plan. This is what I need to do. And we see the results when you walk out in your own strength, under your own knowledge, under your own ability, doing what you think is best. That's why when we jump into this passage, we see a big turnaround in David's life. It often sometimes makes me wonder, do we learn from the mistakes that adversity has brought our way. I think it was Winston Churchill who said this, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So you have to ask yourself, do I really learn from my mistakes or do I repeat them? And so uh, maybe today we can learn from the life of David principles that will guide us on our own spiritual journey. If we look in chapter 2, we'll go through and follow these words. Uh, chapter uh, 2, verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? The Lord said to him, Go up. David said to Which shall I go up? He said, To Hebron. So David went up there with his wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, Abigail the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the house in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you have shown this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have found this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Menahinim, and made him king over Gilead, and the Azurites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David, and that at the time that David was king in Hebron, over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the word of God today. We pray, Lord, as we continue to dig into your word, that through your Holy Spirit, you would literally guide us into your truth. Strengthen us, challenge us, shape us, mold us to be servants, Lord, that are worthy of following you, but also ones, Lord, that are being guided by you in all that we say, in all that we do, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we pick up the first verse. He says, after this, David inquired of the Lord. Big statement. Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? The Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go? And he said, to Hebron. So after he received the Amalekites' reports about the death of Saul and of Jonathan and the defeat of Israel by the Philistines, he finds himself still in Philistine territory at Ziklag, the one that the Philistine king had given him. And then we see this phrase, 
we see in our ESV Bibles, after this, uh, the better connotation actually is the term in the course of time. Or somebody, another, I think the NIV says sometime later, which points out that David was not in a hurry, but willing to wait patiently for the Lord to bring about the purposes in David's life. That's so key. That is so key right there. Because, you know, now that Saul's out of the picture, he knows he's the anointed one, the one that's going to be the king. He doesn't just jump and say, here I am, let's go, <laughs> the king. No, he doesn't do that. He waits patiently on the Lord. Is David learning? And I think the answer is yes. And the thing is, we all need to learn to wait patiently for God's guidance and God's direction in our lives. It's easy to jump and say, hey, what am I doing? What am I doing? and find ourselves in places we shouldn't be. One can see how David is able to pen words like Psalm 27, 14. You've heard this. It says there, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Of course, I remember the old KJV. Wait on the Lord, take courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I remember that one in my dating days because I was looking for a woman to marry and God says, wait and wait and wait on me. And so I remember memorizing that scripture to be, a, to be a help, but learning to wait on God for what he wanted. David could have taken the throne by force, but he had the Lord's promise that he would be king as well as he would have mighty men with him. And yet we do not see, uh, what do we do not see with David? He waits on the Lord. And then there's that phrase, he inquired of the Lord. I like that. He waits and he asks. A little different guy this time. And what do we have to learn from that? We need to ask ourselves, when was the last time I asked God for anything? Now, it's okay to ask God for, you know, we, we find it easy to talk and pray for other people's needs. But the dependence on God for guidance is that which characterizes David. Does that characterize your life? Let me repeat that. The dependence on God for guidance is what characterizes David's life. David inquired of the Lord. David asked the Lord. David asked the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He's always asking because he wants to be sure that he's led in the direction God wants him to because he knows what happened at Ziklag. And God... See, God had given up answering Saul's request since he'd made up his mind before asking. We see that in 1 Samuel 14. At the end of Saul's life, God's silence was ominous, an indication of Saul's despair in 1 Samuel 28. The contrast here, as the author is writing these words, is this. David is a leader who learns from the priest how to listen to God. He goes to Abiathar. It's further demonstrated by David in his inquiries of the Lord versus uh, the Ishbosheth's rise to power through political maneuvering by Abner. David's waiting. God, you're going to make me king. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to wait patiently for this to happen. Whereas Abner rushes Ishbosheth, Saul's other son, into a, through political maneuvering into leadership over the rest of Israel. But the question I need to ask ourselves this morning is because. The whole idea of inquiring of God, what's that all really mean? Is this, have I learned to listen to God? Just stop there. Stop there. 
Because it's one thing to ask God, and we're to, according to James 1, ask in faith, believing, not doubting. We need to ask that question. Have I learned to listen to God? Because it's one thing to ask, but the idea is when you ask, are you willing to listen and also obey? To listen to God means this. Until we take time to be quiet, we're not going to hear from God. God cannot be heard in the noise and restlessness only in silence. God said in Psalm 46, you know these verse, this verse, be still and know that I'm God. When was the last time you were still? I said, God, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear you speak to me. The problem with most of us is that we read God's word and we're not feeding on God. We're more intent on finding the, the, what is the text, the precise meaning, so we can talk more intelligently about God, but we need to move in our relationship with God beyond information to seeing God and being formed and shaped by His truth. So as I read God's Word, I'm saying, Lord, as I read your Word, shape me, mold me, make me to be what you want me to be. Rather than just what I would call an accumulation of facts. James addresses this in, first, in James 1, 22 to 23. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who intently looks at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not only a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. So it means when I inquire of God, I listen to God, I'm intent on obeying what he says in my life and allowing that to shape and mold my life in terms of its direction. Inquiring, listening, implies obedience to what God is telling you. It's interesting how we can kind of warp and twist Scripture to mean what it wants because sometimes when God will speak to you through His Word or perhaps through a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or through a devotion you're reading, you can look at that pastor and say, you know what, that, that's a good, but uh, I'm not sure I want to listen to it or we get dissuaded by different things that pop into our minds, but we don't really place a preeminence on obedience to what God says. We could say that... Uh, Saul, even when he was told by Samuel, did not obey God's commands. We could say he did not listen to God's words. There was in Saul's life huge consequences when he didn't obey. Is there an area in your life, perhaps, where God's been telling you to do something and you haven't been obeying him? And sometimes we, we, we look at that and we say, you know what? I know you said what you said, God, but I'll do it later, or I'll put it off, or I'm not reading really it. I'm not really, It's not really that important. But the thing is, when we do that, we compromise the teaching of God's word. When we do that, we move farther and farther away from God, so we don't hear a still small voice anymore. You know, when reading about the what's happening at Asbury Theological Seminary in terms of the sense of revival that's been breaking out. But in essence, revival is people who profess to know Christ getting right with God, 
Revival is when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and convicts them of their life and their sinfulness. And all of a sudden, there's a sense of renewal in their lives as they confess that sin to God. And there's a infilling of the Spirit of God that takes place in a person's life where there's just this renewal and zealousness to really serve God. I was familiar with the, uh, the, uh, the revival that took place through the Satara Twins in Canada. Anybody remember the Satara Twins? Okay, nobody, that's good. It's real good this morning. That happened in the 70s. I wasn't even born there. Okay, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta pass. I get it. But they used to go to all different churches, even my home church, Bramley Baptist Church, and different churches. One of the churches I pastored in Vanderhoof, British Columbia as well. And what we saw was when the Holy Spirit came upon people, it was because they had acquiesced in terms of, they had allowed sin in their lives. And when you allow sin in your life, when you disobey God, you, there's this wall that comes up in your life between you and God, and you're not as open to the Spirit's leading. That's the truth. He says, well, sometimes, Pastor, obeying God's kind of tough. Yeah, it is. And so sometimes you make excuses to why you're not obeying God. And you need to be watchful because God is watching over your heart. When David disobeyed God by going into a country that he shouldn't have, by going to Ziglag, was there a price to pay? Yes. But when David strengthened himself in the Lord's God, remember that message when he strengthened himself in the Lord's God? There was a huge turnaround in his life. God gave him everything back, and he was on par with God where he needed to be. See, if you're a man or woman after God's own heart, like David, you will listen and you will inquire of God for his direction in your life. So it means wherever you go, you need to say, God, I'm asking you for direction. Because I see sometimes my people say, well, I'm going to go to this, I'm going to do that. And I think to myself, hmm, interesting as you make plans, uh, have you inquired of God? Because really, if you've given your life to Christ, you desire him to live in your life, then that's the first thing you need to be doing. Ask God, what do you want me to do? What sense of direction do you want to have in life? See, the key to David's success was that he consistently and constantly inquired what God would have him to do in his life. Don't be a Saul. Saul had a, was a person of great potential. And he squandered it because of his disobedience to what God said. Let's pick up in verse 2. So David went up there with his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron, which was on the outskirts of Judah. So David immediately obeyed what God said. Yep, you should do this. And he moved to Judah. And Abigail and him were prominent women from the countryside, so they were well known because they're from that area. Their presence aids David in his transition from an ally for the Israelis to a, from a foreign country to a return candidate to the throne, so to speak, as he moves back into Judah. And we see in the next verse 4a, it says, And the men of Judah came and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. So all this time that God had promised, here's what I'm going to do. God, in his time, sets David now over the tribe of Judah. It's been a long time coming. A long time. 
Hebron, the place to which David moved, was the most distinguished of Judah's cities. His arrival signaled to the men it was time to anoint him as king over the house of Judah. Since around about 16 or 17 years old, he's been on the run from Saul. And now David, at the age of 30, comes to a pinnacle moment in his life. I want you to watch what's going to happen here. It's really important. It's maybe easy for David to forget the fugitive that he was for 13 years being oppressed by Saul. He learned many invaluable lessons through adversity. Truth be told, we are often better at handling adversity in our lives than blessing and promotion. Thomas Carlyle said this, but for the one man who can stand prosperity, there's a hundred that will stand adversity. I wish we could say, David, be careful in what you do now because you can trip up so very, very easily. I say this, in adversity, we often spend more time on our knees before God in prayer because we're needy and desperate for God. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes adversity to bring us to our knees, to get us to the point where we say, oh God, I need you. I was usually was a believer in Christ. I, I know I need God, but sometimes we don't act like it. We pattern our lives day by day without any thought or concern about what God wants to do or and how he wants to direct our lives. See, the temptation with blessing is to wing it on our own abilities and strength. Thank you, God. Let's do what I want. Just maybe, maybe, maybe we need a little more adversity in our lives. Want to sign up? I don't think anybody does. Last thing we want. And so as we think about that, with David as king of Judah, you think things are now going to be better, right? No. Don't ever think that when God brings blessing to your life, things are going to be smooth sailing, things are going to be wonderful, things are going to be great. So many people believe when they come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, and as they do put their faith and trust in Him, they think that life is going to get better. The life gets better in terms of having a relationship with God who's going to stand with me, who's going to be my strength, my shield through times of testing and trial. Yes, but the trials don't get easier. The temptations don't get easier. Why? Because you're on planet Earth, but not in heaven. Heaven's a different story. When things get better, actually, it'll take another seven and a half years before he'll become king over all Israel. He'll be 37 and a half years old. It started at 16, and he's still waiting for God to come through. David would wait patiently for God to clear up all the obstacles. Meanwhile, the men of Hebron tell David about Javash Gilead. And when they, first part of, last part of verse 4, when they told David it was the men of Javash Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Javash Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you show this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Remember what these men had done? When David and his sons had been slaughtered by the Philistines in the field of battle, they had been hung up on a wall in a foreign city, and the men of Jabesh Gilead got up in the middle of the night, 
took their bodies down and gave them a decent burial because they remembered that Saul had rescued them from Nahash way before. The men of Jabesh Gilead were actually Saul's supporters. Saul's supporters in his army were really opposed to David. Saul had pledged himself to killing David. So what possible interest could David have in really helping support the, the supporters of Saul as, in this situation? Unless, of course, he really cared about Saul. And we understand this from his lament in the previous chapter that he really cared about Saul. He realized that these men felt the same way about Saul. They cared about Saul. He remembered that being kind often gets remembered. Do you hear that? Being kind actually gets remembered. The messengers were dispatched from David to, he has a message for them. You'll see it here in the text. He says, God bless you for your loyalty. See, the fact that the people of Jabesh Gilead had themselves been friends of Saul does not mean that they are enemies of David. David says, I want you to know that you should be blessed by God. You're very loyal people. Secondly, he says, I want to, you know, to pray that you all know the steadfast love and faithfulness of the God you serve. We see that in verse 6. He says to them, now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you've done this thing. David's message to those who had every reason to regard him as their enemy was about the grace of God, says John Woodhouse. Isn't that right? Well, they were on the wrong side. He said, why don't you come here? I want you to be blessed because of your loyalty. He says in verse 7, Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me as king over them. David, however, has much more extensive ambitions here. It's clear from the message that he sends to the men of Jebesh Gilead, a message that not only congratulates them and supports them and encourages them, but he says, uh, by the way, he says, uh, I'm available to be your king if you wish. But then we get to verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Manaheim and made him king over Gilead and the Azurites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. He reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. But the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was about seven years and six months. Saul's uh, commander or general, Abner, opposes David's reign in Saul's place and orchestrates events so that Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, becomes king of Israel. This delays David's reign for another seven and a half years. And then what happens next is civil war in Israel. And so we're going to look at that next week as to how that all plays out. Civil war is so great. What do we learn from that? Well, you're going to learn what it's like to be in what I would call a divided nation. You know, sometimes people will say to me, Sometimes, why don't you preach what's going on in our Canadian government and our Canadian culture? And I hear stuff like that. And I said, no, I won't. I will continue to preach God's word, verse by verse, precept for precept, because God's word addresses every issue that we're facing in our country today. Are we, uh, are we a divided nation? Oh, yeah. 
Israel's a divided nation. We're going to look at some of those interesting aspects next week. But let me close by saying this question. Who said that following God's plan is easy? Following God's plan for your life is not a cakewalk. As you look at all the different individuals that God worked through in the Old Testament and the New, did any of them have a cakewalk? Tell me. No. Every single individual you can look at had distinct challenges, trials, circumstances, even though they were chosen by God, even though God had given them specific gifts, there are always specifically challenges that they faced in their lives. So don't be surprised when you face challenges in your life. And I should be surprised when I face challenges in my life. And sometimes the challenges are allowed by God so that I will recognize in a greater way how much I need God. My friend, we all need God. David was anointed by God as a messenger, as a teenager, as the next king. But what a journey it's been for David. The spiritual life is always a journey for you and I. We have so much to learn, don't we? And somebody says, do you ever arrive? <laughs> no. You're always learning until you get to heaven. There are many blessings, challenges, trials, circumstances, but I believe God allows them and uses them to strengthen us in our walk with him. Adversity helps our faith grow in many, many ways. See, God is the master planner in subtle and explicit ways. When things don't make sense or when life is uncertain, we should look to God through the eyes of faith and trust Him. Are you in a place in your life right now where you think seem uncertain, you're not really sure where it's going? Trust Him. He knows what He's doing. See, adversity, it gets our attention. Adversity reminds us of our weaknesses. Adversity motivates us to cry out to God, say, Help. Adversity shows us God loves us. But lastly, adversity allows God to perfect the work that he has begun in our lives. He's shaping us. He's molding us through the challenges we face every single day. So keep on growing in your walk with him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word to our hearts this morning. Lord, a challenging passage. But Lord, I want to go back to that first point. David inquired of the Lord. Help us to be individuals who not only profess to know you, but help us to be individuals that are always consistently saying, Lord, I'm asking you for your direction in my life. I want you to be the one who directs my path, that leads me in the right direction. Lord, I know that even when I ask you to lead me and guide me, it's not going to be a cakewalk. I get that. So, Lord, through that time, strengthen me, guide me, use me, that I might bring honor and glory to your name. May that be each one of us, a prayer that we pray, Father, that you might be glorified in and through us as we seek to serve you and follow you by asking you for your direction in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.